Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your faithfulness. and We thank you for your faithfulness that you speak to us through your word, that we don't have to sit and wonder who you are and how you care for us and guess at it, Lord, but you reveal yourself to us clearly and fully through your word. And Father, we come now to your word wanting to hear you speak to us, to speak clearly and powerfully to us, to meet us where we're at and point us to where you would have us go. So Father, remove anything in our hearts and minds that would interfere with us hearing what you have to say, whether it's anxieties or fears or just simple distractions. Lord, remove it all. Give us a singular focus to hear you. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we're going through the rest of Jonah chapter 1, and so we're just going to start off and read the scripture right away. Remember, Jonah heard God's call, and he stubbornly ran away. And here's what happens. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we won't perish. Then the sailors came and said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. As we get older... Our parents have a way of grinning every time we complain about our children's stubbornness. My mom, every time I complain about having a stubborn child, my mom gets this little glimmer in her eye 
and a little smirk and said, oh, it's just payback. <laughs> Which is true. You have those moments as a parent, right, where you have a flashback where you're arguing with your kid and you're like, I remember being that kid and having the same argument with my dad and my dad saying, stop being so stubborn. It's true. But parenting a stubborn kid is not an easy thing to do, right? It requires a lot of your own parental stubbornness, right? I think that's why God gives stubborn people stubborn children because stubborn children need a stubborn parent. Like there's this battle of the wills sometimes where it's like, who's going to crack first? And you kind of... You know, it's whoever gives in first is the, is the winner. But it takes some creativity as a parent, too, because this child has to be raised completely differently than the rest of your kids. The things that you did for the, your non-stubborn children won't work on this child. So you need to pull different tools out of your toolbox. You need to try different things. And you don't have the option of just quitting and giving up. You have to raise this kid, so you got to figure out a way to make it happen. So you keep at it. And you just pray to God that he helps you raise this kid. And a helpful reminder in the midst of all of that is to remember that every single one of us is a stubborn, rebellious child. Not like we were, not, I'm not even just talking about when we were a kid. We have a natural tendency to stubbornly rebel against our Heavenly Father. Every one of us. And not just rebel against him, but stubbornly rebel. Like we talked about with Jonah last week, this determination to, I will not do what you want me to do. Or like a, or like a stubborn two-year-old saying, I will do it myself. And we say that to God over and over and over again. And we, we pick up this story, we watch how that worked out for Jonah. He, he stubbornly ran away from God's call on his life. He was determined to run away from God's call. He said, I will not listen to you. I'm going to do it my own way. And then we see how that works out. <laughs> not so good. He's on a ship. He's headed the opposite direction of where God was calling him. And it says, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So this is what happens. In response to Jonah's stubborn rebellion, the Lord sends a great wind on the sea. And it causes a violent storm to come up. A violent storm that's so crazy that hardened sailors are freaking out. Think about that. These, these guys sail for a living. They sail through storms all the time. But this storm is so bad that they are freaking out. They think the ship's going to fall apart. Like boards are going to start peeling off of it because the waves are so strong. They're, they're so scared that they take all of their provisions, everything that they were shipping somewhere else, and all of their food, and they start pitching it over the side of the ship. It was a typical thing that they did to try to save a ship. But in that moment, you think you're going to die. None of that really matters. You start throwing whatever you can to try to save your life. And not only are they throwing things overboard, trying to lighten the ship, but they're, they're all crying out to their own God because they know that this storm is different. There's a supernatural quality to this storm. And so they're crying out to each their own God saying, save us. 
save us. And yet no help comes. And actually, the storm just gets worse. And then in the midst of this chaotic scene, we have Jonah. I mean, just, just get the picture. Think of how chaotic it is on the deck of this ship. They're running all over, pitching things over the sides, crying out to God, save us, save us. And they're, they're frantically. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell in asleep. Everybody's trying to save their lives. Everybody's trying to figure things out. And there's Jonah conked out in the bottom of the ship. And I think it's important to interpret this rightly because sometimes this reminds us of another story from the New Testament, right? Where we have Jesus and his disciples and they're out on the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up and the disciples are freaking out and saying, save us, save us. What are you doing, Jesus? Why are you sleeping? We're, we're going to die. And we, and we compare these two and we think, oh, Jonah must be sleeping because he just trusts the Lord. No. I mean, Jesus was sleeping in the midst of the storm because he was at complete peace. He was in control of the wind and the waves. He had nothing to be fearful for. So Jesus slept because he trusted. But Jonah had everything to be afraid of. He was trying to run away from the God of the universe. And the very reason the storm was happening is because God threw the storm at the ship because of Jonah's rebellion. You know, Jonah should be afraid. He's not sleeping because he's trusting. You know, the, the main difference between these stories, you see the story about Jesus and the disciples, and Jesus is the hero of the story, right? He's the one sleeping. But in, throughout the book of Jonah, Jonah is not the hero. Um, even the very last verse you'll see, Jonah is kind of the villain of the story. He's not the good guy in the story. And so we see Jonah is sleeping because his hard heart has become so hard that he doesn't care anymore. That he's run away from God, and as he's running away from God, his heart gets harder and harder and harder. And so he goes, lays down on the ship, falls asleep, and says, I don't care what happens to the ship. I don't care what happens to anybody on the ship. I don't even care about my own life. I'm just going to sleep this away. You know, if any of you have ever wrestled heavily with depression, you've probably felt that temptation. I'm just going to sleep all day because I don't know what to do. It's Jonah, but Jonah's is the direct result of his hard-hearted rebellion. And, and Scripture talks about this as happening. In Hebrews, it says, Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of your sin. Like there, There's this idea in Scripture that the more we continue in our sin, the harder our heart gets. And the more stubbornly we continue in our sin, our heart gets harder and harder and harder. And we makes it more difficult to turn to God in repentance. makes it more difficult to turn to God to rescue us. Which is, just on a side note, which is why you know, weekly worship is an important thing. Because every week you come and, and God exhorts you, encourages you, maybe rebukes you, and softens your heart a little bit. So that your heart doesn't become... Hardened in sin or daily devotions even are important because it keeps your heart soft 
open to God's word. And when you turn from all of that, your heart becomes hard. You fall into your sin. It's harder for you to turn from your sin. And you begin this spiral downward to the point where you don't even look to God for rescue. I mean, that's what happens to Jonah. The, the captain finds him in the midst of all of this chaos. The captain finds Jonah sleeping in the ship and goes, what are you doing? You know, not exactly, but how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we won't perish. But sadly, we never hear Jonah in this chapter. We never see Jonah call on his God. The only people who eventually call on God are the sailors. Isn't that amazing? The sailors, the ones who are calling on all these idols and foreign gods, at the end, they call on God and say, save us. But his prophet... His heart has been so hardened that he doesn't even call out to God for help. And so they, they take things into their own hands and they cast lots and, and the lot falls on Jonah. And Jonah gives some kind of a confession. It's not really much of a confession, right? He's kind of like, they're like, who are you? What do you do? And he says, well, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And they freak out. Wait, you worship the God who created all of this? You worship the God who, who, who's doing this right now and, and you're trying to run away from him? And they get terrified. And to make it worse, the sea keeps getting rougher and rougher and rougher. Things keep getting worse and worse and worse. And so the crew can't take it anymore. They don't know what else to do. So they grab Jonah and they say, Jonah, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Something needs to happen because we're going to die out here unless something happens. And, and Jonah's response surprises the crew. I think it surprises us a little bit. Jonah says, pick me up, throw me in the sea. And it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. I mean, it's not jumping out of a boat into the beautiful waters of the ocean. I mean, this is a, they're in the midst of a hurricane. And he says, chuck me in the waters. I mean, think 10, 15 foot seas. Throw me in the water. That's what you have to do. And they respond by saying, uh uh-uh. uh. And they grab the, the oars and they start oaring as hard as they could, can. Every ounce of their being, every fiber of their muscle is pulling at the oars, trying to get back to shore, and it gets even worse. The sea grew even wilder than before. There's this, like, this pattern from the beginning of this story to the end of this story where things keep going from bad to worse to even worse. Jonah's heart keeps getting harder and harder and harder. The sea keeps getting wilder and wilder and wilder. And these sailors who have nothing to do with Jonah's sin, their lives keep getting put in more and more and more danger. Except the only way they can get out of it, they're trying everything they do, but the only way that that seems like that they'll be able to get out of this is to follow Jonah's surprising advice 
to throw him overboard. And I was thinking about that this week. I mean, it's pretty surprising if you were in that ship and somebody said, well, you just got to chuck me overboard, we would go, uh, no. But I wondered, why, why are we so surprised by it? You know, we read a verse like this, which we all know, or most of us know, the wages of sin is death. When we sin, we earn death. And Jonah is in high rebellion against God. He's, he's running away from God. He's living in blatant sin, which means he deserves to die. And I know we don't like to say it that I'm saying it bluntly for a reason, but we don't like to speak that bluntly about it, do we? He, he's in sin, and so he deserves to die, and that makes us cringe. And yet, the Bible really speaks that bluntly about it. And even hard-hearted Jonah knows this. He says, throw me into the sea. He doesn't think God's going to save him. I think Jonah, at some point just, point, just wants his life to be over, right? He he's, was wanting to sleep his life away. He says, just chuck me in. I'm going to die, and, and, and that'll appease God. But he knows that the wages of sin is death. And with that in mind, it really shouldn't surprise us that continuing in sin leads to death and destruction and chaos. Because the wages of sin is death. And it shouldn't surprise us that when, that when we sin or other people sin, that that sin kind of overflows onto people around us who have no, no um, part in our sin. These sailors' lives are in are in danger because of Jonah's sin. There, there's no harmless sin. There's no sin that, that um, doesn't affect anyone else. There's no sin that only affects you. It always overflows onto other people. Typically our family, our friends, and our neighbors. And so it's important for us to remember that sin is... Not just a little thing. Let's not fool ourselves. Sin is a big deal. It's a deadly thing. And it will always, always affect those around us. Because the wages of sin is death. Yet, God is rich in mercy. And doesn't give us what we deserve. If we all got what we deserved from God, none of us would be here this morning. We still have the opportunity to live and breathe and, and walk and, and show up at worship. And even, even Jonah, Jonah gets pitched into the water and by a mercy of God, God appoints a great fish. We don't know that it was a whale. I think it was a fish that God created specifically for that purpose. It says he appointed a fish. So God created a fish that had just for that purpose to swallow Jonah and put Jonah in a timeout for three days. So you sit there and you think about what you've done. (laughs) And think about who I am. But that was a mercy because Jonah deserved to die. Right? And yet, (laughs) he has the opportunity to sit inside a fish for three days, which probably didn't feel like a mercy at that point in time. And yet, it was, because God rescued him through that. 
But not only was this great fish a, a mercy, so was the storm. I don't think Jonah would have never repented had God not sent the storm. Jonah would have continued in his rebellion, would have continued down the path of destruction, would have continued to have his heart harder and harder, continued away from God, yet the storm woke him up, softened his heart just a little bit. Remember, he still has to sit in a fish for three days to have his heart softened more. But it, it was the beginning of softening his heart, opening his eyes to begin to see the, the, his rebellion. And so the storm itself was a mercy of God to bring him to the point of repenting and being restored in his relationship with God. It was designed specifically to turn Jonah away from the path of destruction that he was committed to following. And it's important for us to remember that we're all here this morning because of the mercy of God. Like I said, if, if we got what we deserved, we wouldn't be here. We'd be dead. Because the wages of sin is death. Not just, not just sickness and so, death. And yet, and most of us, as, as we get older and we begin to look back on our lives, we can look back on the different trials and the different storms and the different temptations in our lives and we can look back and say, some of those, well, all of them, were a mercy of God. It doesn't feel like it in the moment. It really stinks sometimes in the moment. And we find ourselves questioning, has God abandoned me? Is God, is God really there? For, does he love me? And yet, in the end, it's a mercy of God to draw us closer to himself. Because we are stubborn, rebellious children who seem like we have to learn everything the hard way. Right? When things are going easy, we just kind of become complacent and we think we've got it all under control. We rely on ourselves and we say, God, I don't need you. I've got it under control and I'm going to go and do my own thing. And, and we find ourselves wandering away from God with our hearts getting harder and harder and harder. And then he clocks us over the head with a two-by-four or a pan or whatever and says, knock it off. I mean, that's the mercy of God that he, does, he could just let us go. We keep running away from him, walking away from him, and we have a God who loves us so much that he keeps coming after us over and over and over again. And we're the stubborn kid whacking his hand away saying, leave me alone, leave me alone. He keeps coming and coming and coming. And the more stubborn we are, the more stubborn he gets. And he knows exactly what we need and when we need it so that we, he can bring us back to repentance. I mean, we even see this in Jesus. As we read through the Gospels, we watch, watch how Jesus interacts with different people in different ways. He, he encounters someone with a soft heart. He has soft words for them. We think of, think of the woman caught in adultery in, in, in John chapter 8. She comes to him broken, being condemned by everybody, soft heart, and he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin, right? It's, it's soft. I mean, there's a hardness to, to repent, you know, but it's not really hard. It's 
soft words to someone with a soft heart. But then you have the Pharisees who are hard-hearted. And Jesus speaks to them differently. I know it's small, but he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs which took look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? You think, woo, Jesus, like bad morning? No, hard hearts, hard words. Hard hearts, storms. He, he knows what people need, and he's calling them to repentance in the end here. He says, how will you escape being condemned to hell? And he says, the answer is, turn from your sin and repent. But soft words, soft hearts, hard words, hard hearts. Storms to hard hearts. But it's important for me to say, not every storm that comes in our life, not every trial that comes in our life is because of sin or a hard heart, right? Job did not have a hard heart and, and had all of the trials. So not every trial is a result of sin. Not every trial is a result of a hard heart. And yet, I think there's wisdom in when we find ourselves in the midst of a trial and in the midst of a storm, there's wisdom in saying, maybe it's because of sin in my life. And get on your knees and say, Lord, just open my eyes. I can't see this sin, but just open my eyes. Examine me head to toe, inside and out. Show me what sin is in my life, and I will turn from it. If there's no sin, if he doesn't bring anything, then say, Lord, what do you want to teach me in this storm? Because he's always drawing us closer to himself. Sometimes he's drawing us closer by turning us away from blatant sin, and sometimes he's just saying, learn more about me, trust me, rest in me more fully. I know exactly what you need exactly when you need it. So draw near to him and trust his fatherly hand. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good and you give us so much more than we've ever deserved. And we often take it for granted. Lord, help us to rest in that. Help us to rest in who you are and your mercy in each one of our lives. Father, open our eyes and open our hearts that we would see it and that we would worship you rightly because of it, that we would rejoice that we serve a God who shows us so much mercy. Father, for those in this church going in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a storm, Lord, we pray that you would draw near and soften their heart, that they would rely on you and trust you, Lord. For those of us in this congregation who have remaining sin and rebellious sin in our lives, Lord, open our eyes to see it. Help us to see the sin in our lives, Father. Help us stir our hearts to turn from it, to repent, to turn to you, be restored. Father, use these trials and storms of this life to draw us closer to you, that we may trust you more fully, rely on you more fully, and see you for who you are and the way you work in our lives and the way you work in this world. 
We say all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.